Every week, Denver Zone Real Nerds Podcast sees a new movie and we podcast our experience to the world. I think sometimes we're funny. Yeah, sometimes when I'm talking, not when you're talking, not when you're talking. Oh, you know, it might help if you told them that we're on iTunes or on Stitcher so they could find a place where you can actually listen to us. Oh, okay, Brad. We're also on Twitter, at Real Nerds, and we have an Instagram account. Boom. Commercial, Brad. Cut. Paste. Upload. We like to have fun. Sure. I like fun. James, you're very bad at improv. RealNerdsPodcast.com. The John of All Trades Podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we, we speak. speak. Start the show! You have all made it! Coming to you from the X-Access, it's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 188. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And I love it when I get hooked up to people who are connected to my old guests, which is exactly what happened this week. Avi Bulo, who was on this show at the time working for Jay Fetter Jewelers. He has since gone out on his own and has founded Bulo Jewelers. You should check them out on the web. I'll have a link to it in the companion blog piece to this episode. A dynamite guy. I've bought my jewelry from him. He's just one of my favorite people I've had on this show and just a, a dynamite stand-up dude. Well, there was a guy who was looking for something about Avi, came across this episode and he said, you know what? That might be a cool venue for me to tell my story. And he was absolutely right. So this week's guest is Ari Hoffman. Ari Hoffman has been in private practice for psychotherapy, just recently fully went out on his own, but has been practicing for about 10 years. He's also the founder of the Integrated Care Institute, which he talks about in this episode, which is kind of a paradigm shift in terms of healthcare. And he also founded Avanim Adventures, which is sort of a, an outdoors outfitting kind of deal where you take people out into the backcountry, get them away from the city, get them to experience nature and experience God's creation. These are his words. He's a delightful person to talk to. And so I love getting hooked up with people who are connected to my old guests. It's part of this web we weave. And I've said this before, but if this show does one thing, it's to build empathy in the world. And if we can all get a little bit more connected, if we can all understand each other a little better, then we're doing good work. And the reason I bring that up is because mental health is a theme in this episode. And mental health is very challenging. I'm candid about my depression in this episode. I have experienced some depression. Ari has too. And he's seen a lot of trauma. And I think in terms of when we think about our physical health, we underrate the mental aspect of it. Because I remember something Drew McGarry wrote one time. And pain is ultimately a thought. It's your body sending something to your brain. And therefore, it's a thought. And so anytime we're experiencing pain, it comes back to our mental state in a lot of ways. And if we can help understand that, and if we can help take care of ourselves and of each other, then we're doing good work. So I'm proud to bring this episode to you. Ari Hoffman, just a terrific guy. I'm glad he reached out to me. If you have an idea for a show, or you yourself want to be a guest, or you know someone who's cool, hit me up. You know where I am on social media. It's J-O-A-T-Pod across platforms. That's Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. Or you can shoot me an email through my Deft Communications website. Deft Communications is the producer of this show. That is my company. And you can hit me up at john, J-O-N, at deftcom.us. That's D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. So john at deftcom.us. That's where you can get in touch with me. And I hope that you do. A couple of programming notes. 
I hope you're enjoying this first job series because I'm not only doing it for each of my new guests and it may be first jobs. It may be different questions, but we're doing like a one non sequitur question before we get to the week's episode. Those go up on Mondays. Those are the new episode previews and they're so much better than me just scribbling something on Facebook. Uh, no disrespect to any guests I've had in the past, but I really hate writing those. So doing this is much more fun, and it gives you a different little snapshot, different little slice of insight into my guests. So those are each Monday. Additionally, I'm appearing on a panel this coming Saturday, September 15th, for the Colorado Independent Publishers Association. They're talking about how to take your book on a podcast tour. And me, having this podcast, might be able to provide some insight there. So really looking forward to that. Big thanks to Brian Flynn for hooking me up with Jen Kolick who is running this, and I'm excited to appear and impart whatever knowledge I have about podcasting. So again, if you have opportunities, you want me to talk about podcasting, you need a podcast produced, hit me up at Deft Communications. That's John, J-O-N, at deftcom.us, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Now, enough about me. Let's pivot to Ari Hoffman. He's a psychotherapist. He's the founder of the Integrated Care Institute. He's the founder of Avanim Adventures. He's a man of many passions. This episode is incredibly insightful, and he's a great dude. It's episode 188 of the John of All Trades podcast, and it starts right now. So I actually have been doing private practice part-time since about 2011. Okay. Um, and then just a few weeks ago, I left my day job to uh, full-time private practice and entrepreneurship. Okay. What was your day job? I was working as a therapist at an agency. Okay. Yeah. What facilitated your exit? Uh, desire. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Um, desire to to go out on my own. I have a lot of passions that are not being uh, uh, effectively addressed by spending three days a week working for some, somebody else. And so... Uh, Familiar story, yeah. Yeah. So I left uh, and I'm pursuing my passions, which is terrifying and wonderful. <laughs> uh, that's a good way of putting it. It's, uh, it is terrifying and wonderful, but ultimately you made the leap, which I think... Taking that big step, it's a big one. Yeah. And the cliff face looks awfully steep, right? Yeah. But uh, I think once you get there, it feels a lot better. How does it feel so far? Uh, it, it feels good. I, I think you're right. I think in, in general for a lot of things, the anticipation is um, – uh, for some things is more fun. But for a lot of things, especially something scary, is a lot worse than than when you actually do it. Right. And it's like rafting, right? You're like coming up to the rapid and you – you can hear the water and the flow starts getting quicker and you start realizing that there's no way you can get out of this. You're committed. And then when you're in the rapid, you don't even think about it. And no. you're, just, you're just in it and, and hopefully enjoying it and paddling hard. It, it reminds me of something my friend told me who played high school football, which I never did. But he said, or, or I asked him, I said, were you nervous before games? And he said, oh, yeah, every time. And I said, when did that go away? And he said, as soon as you hit someone. <laughs> Then you're, <laughs> then you're just in it, right? Yeah. But that speaks to me with what you just said about rafting. It's like, oh, wow, coming up on it. We're coming up on it. We're coming up on it. And then yeah. all of a sudden you're just in it and you're just kind of doing it, right? That, and that's true of entrepreneurship. 
you're, you're looking at it and you go, there's no way this is impossible. Like I have too much to do. And then all of a sudden you're just in it and you're just doing it. And, and yeah, and that's, and that's how it's been. It's just been a couple of weeks. So there's definitely an element of, uh, of, uh, still adjusting and, mm-hmm. and seeing what it's like. And, uh, but I'm, I'm very happy to, to be here. And look, the truth is this, uh, you know, uh, all, all the great people say stuff along these lines, but when I die, I want to be able to look back and say, I did this and maybe I did it and it failed. Right. And maybe I did it and it succeeded, but at least I did it. I put it out there rather than being on my deathbed, surrounded by my family and saying, see, damn, I really should have. Why didn't really I try? Put that out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why didn't I put that out there? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's one of the things you hear. Uh, the things people regret is not the things they did, but the things that they didn't try. Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned that you had some passions that were not being fulfilled by working for someone else. Can you delve into that a little bit? Well, uh, I'll start with the most mundane and crass and slightly selfish, which is... I love it. Perfect. <laughs> which is, uh, I don't like giving money away. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that, that, that's the, that's a, at, the, at the very, uh, maybe, uh, one of the lower levels. Sure. Um, a master's in therapy or a master's in counseling is arguably one of the lowest paying master's degrees in the entire country. Huh. And so a uh, therapist really has to be... Uh, has to hustle and be savvy to try to make a dollar. Sure. Um, and so, uh, sharing that money with a larger company was, um, to the extent that I was, was something that I, uh, didn't feel great about. Number one. Number two, it was fixed. And so I much prefer the model of, uh, I get paid for, for, for how I work and if for I, your effort, and for right? my effort, exactly. And if I, if I work more, I can get paid more and, um, and having those opportunities, uh, was important to me. So it's just on the basic financial level, um, being able to change the paradigm in which I am, uh, getting paid, yeah. um, was a, was a big deal. Did you see office space? No, okay. I heard about it. Okay. Wow. Um, <laughs> th- this one's an all timer for me, but so, you know, Ron Livingston plays Peter Gibbons and he's working there and he decides he just, he doesn't care anymore and he gives up and he, he even stops showing up and they promote him. <laughs> and what's funny is he's meeting with the consultants and he says, look, it's a problem of motivation, Bob. If I work my ass off and, and attack ships a few extra units, I don't see another dime. Right. So where's the motivation? Exactly. So if you hustle your ass off working for someone else, you're not going to see another dime, right? Right. So now you are more in control of your own destiny. Right? Yeah. Cool. Okay. So that's at the lowest level. I, I should point out here. <laughs> I should point out that I have a number of contract employees and I have tried to, um, create a paradigm in my own business where they are getting paid more, uh, effort, uh, connected to their effort versus on, just on a, on a basic flat rate. And to me, like I said, that, that's very important. Not only to me, it's very important to change how therapists are treated in the, in the mental health world. So I want to be treating my therapists how I want to be treated and give them the incentive to, to do things to the, uh, to their very highest level, both certainly in the satisfaction they get from their, you know, from the work, but also in terms of the, the money that they're earning. Sure. The, the reward that they get. This is Ari Hoffman and we were introduced by Avi Bulow. Uh, Avi's been on the show. Avi also took the leap recently. And so, I mean, that's kind of a running theme on this show. I should really rename it The Leap. 
because uh, it's mostly people who have decided, you know what, I can't do what I'm doing anymore. I got to try something else, and they go out and they try. And I mean, the the opening song of this show is, you know, it, it's actually Paul Heyman saying this, but it's like you've all made it to the dance, right? And once you cross that line, like we're at the dance, man. Like we made it, we, and if it fails, whatever. You can always go back and do something else, right? Yeah, you can always absolutely. go work for someone else, but damn it, like you're here. Yes. And that's so cool and that's so rewarding. So, okay, broader question. Yeah. You've been a therapist for 10 years and I want to come back to something you said as well. How therapists are treated. Yeah. Um or counselors, I think is what you said. Both. Okay. Um, different different names there are so many different names for therapists. Like right. therapist, therapist, counselor, but yeah. Okay. Can you explain a little bit, first of all, why you chose to get into this? Like, what, what was the impetus for pursuing this as your life's work? And then secondly, why are they treated in the way that you find unsatisfactory? Well, uh, first question first, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I, well, you didn't just, like, trip into a class in college, right? <laughs> did not just trip into a class. In fact, qu quite the contrary. I, uh, here it is for the entire public world to hear. I don't have a bachelor's degree that's actually accredited. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And please excuse this one. This is Finnegan. He's, uh, coming to say hi. And he's up on our dining room table, which is just outstanding. So I went to a Talmudic seminary after, well, I, I went, it was actually the same school I went to high school at. And then I stayed for uh, some time afterward. So I got a bachelor's degree from a, from a Jewish, uh, from a Jewish Talmudic seminary. And that bachelor's degree, when I went to apply for graduate programs in psychology, I was told that the bachelor's degree is not really, is not worth much at all because it's not accredited. It's accredited within the Jewish world, but not accredited oh, okay. by any of the main academic entities. So it's not like regionally accredited, like uh, something like Colorado State University right, or exactly. like Front Range Community College or whatever, right. right? Right. So I went, but they said that they that I could apply based on life experience. And at that time, I actually had some life experience. I'd spent uh, almost a year studying in Israel, mm -hmm. and I had been in this uh, um, uh, Jewish boys boarding school for the majority of my my high school. Um, so I, I applied based on that. Now I will tell you there are a couple passions that I still have and, and that I would still like to pursue that I thought about doing even before I became a therapist. Mm. I've wanted to be an airplane pilot since I was a little kid nice. and that, that has stayed. And I have, um, had the, enjoyed the opportunities to fly, uh, a number of different types of airplanes and how many hours do you have? Uh, uh in my logbook, 10 in reality, probably 15 or so. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, 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 you, so you're inching your way up. Yeah. Yeah. Inching. Very, very, very slowly. One, one dollar at a time. One inch at a time. Got it. Exactly. So, um, and then, uh, I had told, I told my wife, I remember before I, um, before I applied to this, to the graduate program that I ended up attending, I told her if I don't get into, cause I'd applied to a couple others. If I don't get into this one, I'm going to go be a firefighter. Oh, I'm, wow, I'm, wow. I'm just done. And, uh, and, and, and I actually am still in, interested in, uh, in emergency medicine, I have a, I'm a first responder as part of my wilderness guiding. Uh, but wow. anyway, so, uh, so I went and I applied and I got in and, uh, we, I completed the program. I will say this. I don't, I still don't totally know why I got into it, but after 10 years, um, and really being in the very challenging world of, of mental health, um, I still love it. I love the work that I do and, um, and I'm fascinated 
uh, I'm fascinated by people and, and our behaviors. As am I, which is why I do this show. Uh, so there was never really like an epiphany moment that's like, okay, this is my life's calling. This is, this is what I have to do. But now that you're in it, it's almost like it revealed itself to you somewhat after the fact. Yes. I mean, let's also be real here. Uh, my father is also a therapist. Okay. So that could have made me never want to be a therapist or uh, as it did, it made me want to be a therapist. And I will also say that both of my younger brothers are also in the mental health field, <laughs> which it's, it's kind of a family illness. Well, I'll tell you this, Ari, that is not uncommon because when I was a kid, if you asked me what I was going to do, I would have said play third base for the Chicago Cubs. Secondly, probably uh, a point guard for the Utah Jazz. And then third, uh, failing either of those, I'll just do whatever my dad did. <laughs> and I pretty much am doing what my dad did. Nice. So well, I appreciate it. We're, I feel like I'm in good company now. <laughs> That's right. Um, I, it was not my intention. I did not plan on doing that. And, you know, you, you carve out your own path. Yeah. Um, because anytime you're sort of in the same milieu as a parent, you know, they can cast a long shadow. Yes. And you go, I got to find, I, like, I got to find my own niche here. And it's to whatever extent you're successful is that is largely up to you. So absolutely. And, and, and my dad and I are very different therapists. I right. have an e enormous amount of respect for the work that he did. He does. And he's a fabulous therapist, but we are very different in the way that we practice. And I appreciate that. My father also is a wilderness guide or was a wilderness guide. Yeah, and I've done that too. And my father teaches and I really love public speaking. So <laughs> we check, check and check. So uh, we're, we're doing uh, almost like a therapy session here then. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> I mean, in a sense, that's what we do. Essentially, if you're in any level of customer service, and I would say therapy absolutely qualifies. I mean, that's customer service almost on its most basic level. Um, but when I spoke to Candace LeClaire, who's the hairdresser, she said, at my heart, people will sit in my chair and then look in the mirror and tell me the weirdest and most awful things about themselves. And I almost have to be this ad hoc therapist because you're sitting down, you're candid, no one's on their phones, like there's no TVs around. You're just looking at yourself in the mirror, making small talk. You never know what's going to come out. Right. I've heard that uh, a number of times actually from from people who are in you know the hairdressing, you know that's that that sort of uh, uh, those professions that they hear a lot and that they would appreciate having some sort of training to be <laughs> to deal with all the stuff that they hear. That's funny. Uh, yeah, I wonder what the burnout rate is for. Uh, yeah, no for, kidding. For uh, haircutting. <laughs> well, and the physical toll, she told me her fingers and hands are just wrecked. Oh, and wow. then, like, her feet and her back hurt because she's standing up all, all day. day. Right. So, anyway, it's kind of wild. Like, I learned the physical hazards of these jobs. Like, the, the dentist I interviewed told me about, uh, he said he couldn't do it anymore because his thumb was starting to go. I go, your thumb? And he goes, the one that holds the mirror. Because there's so much pressure, I killed all the nerves. Oh, my gosh. And, and I had to have surgery to get it fixed. Oh, my gosh. And I'm wow. like, wow. Okay. Um, you do something long enough, your body's going to break down from it. So, yeah. Wow. So, okay. The second part of that question is why don't counselors and therapists get the love that they deserve in your opinion? You know, I think there's a lot of, a lot of answers to that. Let's start. We could start with the, the media for, for just a moment. Uh, um, I am no authority on how therapists are represented in the media, but I will say that aside for Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting, who I thought actually did a, quite a good job of portraying an ethical therapist whose primary interest was, um, was his client's well-being. Mm -hmm. Aside from that example, therapists do really not nice things, uh, in the media. They, uh, uh have. So you're uh, talking about pop culture. We, yeah. Well, like, you know, having sex with their clients and that sort of thing. <laughs> so I think, I think when somebody, 
when somebody has not had any exposure to a therapist and to a real therapist and all of their exposure is on TV or, or movies, it's like, well, this therapist did that, this therapist did that, and that's pretty heinous. All right. Well, I think I'm going to stay away from therapists. So that's just kind of in pop culture in a, in a, in a general sense. So I, th- I think that there's some level of anxiety when I tell people that I'm a therapist. First of all, I've, I've thought a lot about telling people I'm a plumber <laughs> because I basically, you know, I deal with emotional fecal matter. So I think that's, I think that's, that's a fair comparison, but the shit um, in people's heads. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, um, but people get nervous when I tell them I'm a therapist. Uh, um, sometimes not, all, not all of them, but sometimes people get excited cause they're, um, they want to talk to me a lot more. And sometimes people just stop talking altogether. I always feel bad for people who are dermatologists uh-huh. <laughs> be- because it, invariably, and I've talked to a handful of people who do this, it's like, oh, you're a dermatologist. Would you take a look at this real quick? <laughs> right. Exactly. So, so like we, so people we get, hear you, we get some, some similar stuff. And the truth is that I don't mind it. I don't mind it that much when people say, because, because I know it's people who really want help. They really want, um, they really want some, uh, some reassurance. Now, um, in the professional world, I, I will say with some trepidation, recognizing that this is a public forum, that therapists are abused in the community mental health system. Mm-hmm. And when I say the community mental health system, I'm talking about the vast majority, not all, but uh, uh, well, I would say a significant majority of therapists leave grad school and then go into an agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pay is low. Burnout rate is high. When you say agency, are you talking about like a state agency or like? So I'm talking about the, in Colorado, the Medicaid population is served primarily by nonprofit agencies that okay. are contracted with the state to provide mental health services to the Medicaid population. I got you. Okay. Now, it's not totally fair for me to trash talk all of the agencies. Number one, I don't know all of them, but I've worked for a few of them. And I would say that this is a phenomenon that I think even the upper management in those agencies recognize. And I obviously am not in upper management, so I can't speak to what they're doing about it. But it is a a phenomenon. It is a common phenomenon. And what's happening is these relatively green therapists just coming out of grad school need to go there uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go get a job there often to get their hours toward licensure. Licensure sure. is 2000 hours post graduate, post graduation, 2000 hours of, of, uh, of service. Okay. Um, so they'll go there and what, what's happening though, is that the populations that are, um, getting services in those agency are often very high needs. We're talking right. what we call SPMI, severe and persistent mental illness, People who need a lot of help, a lot of energy, and these therapists are coming in, and and it's really kind of a war zone some, in yeah. some of these places. And I certainly uh, um, have had my extra special war zone experiences. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, I, I don't want you to violate HIPAA or anything, but anything in the abstract you can describe, you know, anonymizing sure. uh, who it is. And, you know, feel free to scrub the details from this, but... Can you give me a snapshot of what one of those stories might be like? Like getting parachuted into one of these war zones? <laughs> uh, well, I, I could say this. So I was a school-based therapist at one of the um, mental health agencies. And uh, being a school-based therapist in the summer, they had to find something to pay us for. 
um, okay. because it's the because school's on break. So for a couple summers, I got to work at the jail in the same county oh my. Uh, as the school that I was uh, that I, as the agency that I was working in. Now that was actually a, a, a wonderful experience. I had a really good time, and I met some amazing people. The inmates uh, I met was uh, some really some amazing folks. Uh, going to the houses of kids that were in the school that I worked in and meeting people who I had met at the jail, mm-hmm. that was a little weird. Wow. Yeah. So there was definitely a lot of carryover uh, <laughs> in, in that way. There were, uh, there were situations where there was a situation where the hostage recovery team from, uh, from uh, one of the police departments came to the area so the the school was was locked out not locked down but locked out so so nobody could 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 come in or leave right. and it turned out that the person that they were trying to apprehend was affiliated with uh somebody in the school so there were a lot of uh really fascinating mm-hmm. um fascinating things and that's along with the more general categories tons of abuse child abuse tons of trauma tons of drug abuse mm. um uh, uh domestic violence uh poverty there was a lot lot going on how do you as a therapist especially when you're brand new and you you drop into one of these agencies and you know all of a sudden your eyes are wide open to to parts of the world that you didn't know existed and you know portraits of humanity that, that you didn't think possible necessarily. Uh, number one, is there a high rate of burnout here and turnover? There's a high rate of burnout uh, working with, with that population. Sure. Okay. And exactly what you're talking about is exactly what it is. Therapists see a much larger spectrum of humanity than, than most folks. So you're right. Coming out of grad school and we think, oh, you know, here we are all hot. And then we get into this situation and we're in the war and we're looking at it and say, oh my God, this is completely, yeah. you're like you said, a new, uh, you know, a, a new picture of humanity. Yeah. This is not what, uh, I mean, we read about this in books, uh-huh. but right. now all of a sudden it's staring you right in the face. Holy Lord. Um, So my question to you is, given that that you are experiencing this, and I imagine with your own practice, it's a little bit less intense. Is that fair to say? Or Uh, is it? Well, I would say now it is because it could be said that I have maybe more choice about who I work with. Um, but I still hear because I really enjoy working with trauma. So I still hear some pretty, pretty intense stuff. Okay. What do you do in terms of self care then? Because obviously if you carry that with you, uh, you're, you're going to break down yourself. So how do you take care of yourself? How do you, you know, take that energy, you take these people's stories and then without fully casting it aside, it, how do you, how do you manage that type of energy and how do you care for yourself? I appreciate the question, and and I'm uh, you could probably assume that that's a question that you, uh, you will find often in interviews when you interview for a therapy job, oh, which is they want to know. All right, you recognize that this is this is really intense. How do you, how do you deal with burnout? So the correct answer in an interview is. I eat well, I exercise, and I meditate all the time. I drink lots of water. The the, the true answer, and I think this is true for a lot of people, not just me, but I will only own it for myself, Uh, is uh, I I do exercise. Um, I find that exercise is enormously helpful for me. I don't necessarily eat well. Sometimes I eat too much, and sometimes I eat crap, and I love it. And I, and I will probably continue to do so. Uh, I, <laughs> what, what's your vice of choice? Uh, uh, crap. Yeah. This is like secrets that nobody gets to know. I really, <laughs> I really like those, 
Twizzler licorice things that have that sour stuff inside them, that like nuclear uh, colored um, sour filling wow, nastiness. It's so bad, but it's so good. That's a deep cut, man. It is <laughs> well played. I expected you, you know, to give me the standard answer of like, oh, ice cream or pizza, but no, man, that was really, really specific. Oh yes, it is. It is. It is there, and it's been well thought out. <laughs> so that's a number one, right? I I like watching. Here's another little uh, uh, re secret. I like watching YouTube videos of train crashes. Oh, geez, okay. <laughs> Uh, I, that's a whole genre I didn't know existed. Well, and I, I hear John is thinking, maybe this was not such a good idea. <laughs> Are you shitting me? This is fantastic. <laughs> so, uh, so train crashes, and, and here's why I, I feel like it's, it's, it deserves a little bit of an explanation. Perhaps. <laughs> the intensity of the stuff that I experience uh-huh. is so extreme. That when I, when I leave there and I look around me, everything is so sedate. Everything is so normal. Now, you and I both know, I would propose that I probably know better than you by virtue of my profession, but you and I both know that what I see, there's a lot behind that, that, that we don't see that's really intense, right? But in general, just walking around, everything's like chill, right? Denver people don't honk very much. There's not a whole lot of intensity. And, but then I, I open up uh, YouTube and I look at, at train crashes and the intensity and the, the, the craziness of it, it matches. Yeah. Wow. It matches my experience of, of the world. And I find it somehow satisfying. <laughs> uh, I will also say, and I, and, and as weird as this might be, I'm totally comfortable saying it on air. Um, I have, it's been a long time since I did this, but I have in the past taken glass bottles and broken them in a dumpster oh. just because Again, that, that experience of, of something breaking, of like the intensity there. The catharsis. Exactly, exactly, wow. is, is, um, is a relief, is a relief for me. And I will also tell you this, I have burned out. Mm-hmm. I think that burnout, when it's often, when burnout is discussed, it's discussed as a binary. You either are or are not burned out. But I think burnout is a spectrum. Sure, yeah, it's a continuum. Exactly. And so I've burned out a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that, that what I appreciate now is the wisdom to know what I, what, what I'm feeling when I'm burning out and to address it before it gets yeah. to the point where it's, uh, um, preventing me from doing my job. I got you. Um, I went to a psychiatrist for a while. And one of the things that she equipped me to do was when my depression starts rearing its ugly head. And the way I refer to it is there's like a curtain at the end of a hallway. And as soon as that curtain starts to open, I'm either going to walk through it mm-hmm. and then I'm deep in it, man. Like I'm in the well, like, and I'm, yeah. I'm looking up and I go, oh shit, it's, mm-hmm. it's deep and I'm it's here. dark in here. Yeah. What she's taught me to do is recognize when I'm in that hallway and when I start seeing the curtain pull back. And then at that point, there are things that you can do to address that. And so like part of it is, you know, expressing what I'm doing, uh, what I'm feeling. I tell that to like my wife or someone else, someone Mm -hmm. who's trusted, and then you can talk through it and you almost cut it off at the head Mm -hmm. that way. Um, and so that was really useful for me. So it sounds like in terms of burnout, you can recognize it sort of creeping up on you. Yeah. I was, I was just going to say what you're describing actually, uh, touches on, if I may, another one of my passions, which is helping people make decisions in stressful situations that, that, that help them maintain their level of function. So right. what you just described, I think is, is very well summed up by a quote from Viktor Frankl, mm. uh, which you may be familiar with, which is, uh, between stimulus and response, there is a space. Mm. In that space is our power to choose our response. 
in that response lies our growth and our freedom. Wow. Very deep quote, uh, taught to me by one of my, by one of my patients. And so what you're describing is, is increasing your level of, and I use the, uh, the, the, the scary M word, um, judiciously, uh, a level of mindfulness, mm-hmm. which is when you're headed down that road and you're able to take a moment, look around and say, okay, wait, here's where I am. Yeah. And here's where I need to make a decision so that I don't get all the way, like you said, into the well where I'm like, oh, wait, now I'm here. And now it's going to yeah. take a lot more work and effort and I'm going to have to go through the crucible of depression yeah. to get out the other side. So so helping people find those spaces where they can stop and make a decision before it goes over the edge is a, is a, a particular passion of mine in my clinical work. Well, dude, and the hard thing is sometimes like – Going through that curtain is really, really appealing. And, and crazy, right? But it's yeah. so true. Absolutely. Like, if you've gone through depression at some point, there's something like alluring oh, yes. about getting into that. And it feels so perverse to say and like counterintuitive because once you're in it, you go, this sucks and I hate everything. <laughs> right. But like approaching it, you go, yeah, like, yeah. that's how I want to feel. Exactly. Like I just want to dig into these feelings. Yeah. There uh, is something oddly appealing. And I have struggled with depression also most of my life uh, since I was about a, uh, 13 or so. Yeah. And yes, there is, it's, it's, it's unpleasant and really, really tough to be in, but there is something very appealing about it, which is, yeah, something ironic. like super self-indulgent about it. Yes. That, <laughs> that is, I mean, it's unlike sort of anything else. It's really weird in that way. But, uh, okay. I want to shift gears, uh, slightly here. You started the integrated care Institute. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. So the Integrated Care Institute is based, well, stemmed out of my passion for interdisciplinary collaboration. And I'll just, if I may tell you a brief story about how that came to be. Um, when I was 24, I was diagnosed with a, uh, a kidney disease. I tried to get my nephrologist, a kidney doctor, to talk to my uh, Eastern medicine doctor. Uh-huh. And I tried and I tried and I tried. Just wouldn't do it. And Well, they ended up talking to each other for about two and a half minutes. <laughs> and it was a completely unproductive conversation. Yeah. And while I think I probably had passions like this before, that really brought it home to me, which was, oh my God, how amazing would it be if we could get different disciplines, especially healthcare disciplines, to uh, to talk to each other? Now, I want to uh, just add briefly here that yet another one of my passions is healthcare reform. Now, I'm not going to make this a boring conversation about healthcare reform, sure. except to say this. We could be doing... And there is no argument. There's no other side in my mind about this. We could be doing in America a much, much, much better job providing good, efficient, and effective care for much, much less money. It is it is beyond any argument. How we do that is absolutely subject to discussion sure. and argument, et cetera. We could be doing a better job. And to me and to a lot of researchers, this is one way to do it. If we have – so the Integrated Care Institute, just briefly – uh, is the mission of the Integrated Care Institute is to promote the understanding um, and application of the connection between physical and mental health care. To that end, I facilitate relationships between medical practices and mental health providers. Nice. So I hire a mental health provider to be on-site at a medical practice to uh, be available to consult with the providers and to provide mental health services with, to their patients. Nice. To have that conversation be able to happen in one spot 
even for for small things, right? For the for the mental health medication that uh, primary care providers are willing to prescribe, instead of I'm over here in my office and I have to call the medical provider, which everybody knows it can be a, it take a little while, it can be labyrinthine, right? And then that person, then the patient has to set up an appointment. And then go and then, right. and then get the prescription, the whole thing. And that's assuming the patient actually attends those appointments. <laughs> uh, that, that can take a month. Right. Or I can do it in one day. Yeah. I can go to the provider and say, I think this person could benefit from this. I am not a prescriber. None of my, my contract employees are prescribers, but we can certainly make suggestions. And then the, the medical provider can say, all right, well, why don't you know what? I have a couple minutes. Why don't we spend some time? Or I know this patient very well. I'm comfortable prescribing. Let's go ahead and do it. We've saved so much time, so much energy, so much resource to, to provide somebody with something that's going to make them feel better. And when they feel better, they are more productive and the whole world is a happier, uh, more, more functional place. So this is uh, uh, um, uh, something that is very important to me. It's a, yeah, it's a real passion project. Uh, how successful have you been in you know getting this model into various places? Well, I'll tell you, it's 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 kind of a fascinating thing. Uh, while I certainly believe in the value of advertising, I got one provider into one practice uh, through some friend connections. Mm-hmm. I haven't advertised. Since then, and I now have five contract employees in five different practices around Denver and surrounding areas, uh, and that doesn't include me. I'm in one as well. So six providers total in six different practices, and that's without even advertising. Nice. And so I would say that uh, I would say that it's been quite successful. And my intention is to continue to grow and build. And certainly, my hope is to grow this business. Absolutely, um, for all the financial elements. You know, back to that that lowest level there, <laughs> right. but. Um, uh, additionally, my intention is to grow a business that takes care of mental health providers, that takes care of medical providers because they get burned out. A me- medical provider doesn't have the, the, the time or emotional resources to sit and listen for 45 minutes to somebody, right. right? But if they know there's a therapist down the hall that they can, that they can hook the patient up with, how much better? So I'm, I'm really looking to, Use this not only as uh, financial support for myself and for my contract employees, but also as a um, as a catalyst for healthcare reform in general. Nice. You've talked about shifting paradigms before. Like paradigm has come up a number of times as as a word here, and that's that's a word that stands out. To me, this is a paradigm shifting kind of thing. Yeah. Do you view it that way? Uh, totally, and that 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 is my hope. And and to that end, I've been uh, I've I've uh, contacted a couple uh, politicians. Uh, not so much success there, but I'll keep I'll keep working on it. Persistence. Um, and and yes, and that is that is my hope that that people see this as a paradigm shift. Uh, frankly, both uh, in terms of using my company, but also in terms of implementing their own stuff. Sure. Let's change healthcare here. Let's make it cheaper. Let's make it more effective and functional and a great way to do that is multidisciplinary collaboration. Yeah. That, I mean, that makes good sense to me. And it's funny because I, uh, I have a scratch on my cornea currently, which is really, really not fun. It's, Sounds unpleasant. it's made my, uh, my whole left eye like blurry. So now I'm overusing my right eye, which has given me a dull headache for the last week. Oh, wow. But I went and saw an optometrist and he took a, he had a machine that took a photo of the back of my eye because he wanted to make sure the problem wasn't back there. And so it's a photo of my optic nerve and my blood vessels. And he said, well, the good news is you, uh, you don't have an ulcer on your eye. And I go, that sounds wildly <laughs> disgusting. Um, and I'm glad to hear that I don't. And then secondly, he goes, 
And it looks like you're not pre-diabetic, you're not diabetic, your blood sugar levels are good, uh, and your cholesterol is in good shape. And I go, you can tell that from looking at the veins in my eyes? And he goes, yeah. He Wild. said, he said uh, there's, there's a lot about the health of our eyes that can tell you about what's going on in the rest of your body. And I said, I had no idea. And so to that end, I think if providers with different specialties could get together and talk to each other, they can learn so much from each other. So I think you're absolutely right. I think you're on the right path. And I think about when I blew out uh, the disc in, in my lower back, so much of my physical therapy was spent talking about my emotional state. Fascinating. Right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Be- because, like, you know, I have a lot of pain and I have numbness down my right leg. I can't make dorsiflexion with my foot. But so much of it had to do with how shitty I was feeling, mm-hmm. you know, and like the, the pain and the despair and almost like, I don't think it was my fault, but like almost the shame that went with it. Totally. And so like, there's a mental health aspect to that. I think it's underrated, especially for people going through physical pain. Absolutely. I, I want to actually use that as a, as a brief segue to the idea, the idea of you treating chronic pain with uh, multidisciplinary collaboration. Now this is something that, that we really haven't really talked about much, but I had this idea that I would very much like to get back to um, at some point, hopefully in the next couple years, which you is... you got a lot on your plate here. <laughs> I, I, I do. Well, I have a lot going on in my mind. I have a lot of passions, which is very similar, but bringing uh, multiple disciplines together with a patient in the same room as part of a uh, um, interview and treatment plan for chronic pain. Mm. There is such an enormous mental health element to chronic pain. Oh yeah. Even with, you know, uh, uh, physical, uh, uh, you know, stuff that has a very clear physical source, there's so much to, the, to do with emotions and, it's it's amazing how much there's a great book by a author named Bessel van der Kolk called The Body Keeps the Score. And it's true. <laughs> the body keeps the score with trauma, with stress, emotions, all the different stuff. So when there's chronic pain and we know the chronic pain and with the opioid crisis um, uh, and the, those connections, there's a lot there. Uh, so that's something that I would like to uh, um, I spent some time with a couple of years ago. would like to get back to at some point as well. Yeah. Because pain is exhausting. Oh, yes. And, uh, and you know, it, at some point, there's, like, fear involved, too, because I still can't feel all of my big toe. Like, wow. I, don't, I don't think I'll ever get all that feeling back. But at some point, I was wondering if I was ever going to be able to feel my foot again. Wow. And that just filled me with dread. Yeah. You know, because I'm like, oh, God, is this my life? Like, am I going to have to wear this brace the entire rest of my life? Am I going to be that guy, like the guy wearing the brace? Yeah. And that's nothing. Like, in the grand scheme of things, you know, it, you run your own race, and it's pointless to compare pain with someone else sure but in in terms of just how you look ahead you go wow my life will be very very different if this doesn't change and and you have to sort of wrestle with that and and determine not your own comfort level with that but you you just you got to reckon with it yeah absolutely pain is an amazing way for us to find out how frail the human body really is (laughs) even at our strongest yeah, and it's funny as I'm getting older, I just kind of hurt all the time. Uh-huh. And I mean, you have kids. Your kids are ranging in age from 13 to three, right? Correct. Yeah, uh, that's a different kind of physicality <laughs> with all those yeah. kids. I mean, right now mine are almost four and two, and so like picking them up and like mm-hmm. they'll just jump on me and like they, Grace will walk up to me and just without even realizing, just punch me in the nuts. <laughs> And they're right at that, that level, that height level, right? It's not height. <laughs> oh, okay. It's and, intentional. No, but it, like, that's the height she is. So uh, she'll right, just walk right, up. Yeah. She'll like run right into me and it's like face first right into my uh, junk. And I right. go, okay, daddy's got to sit down for a minute. Um, but thank you. I love you too. 
Yeah. Um, and so Been there. Yeah. You just hurt all the time, yeah. man. I, I know that I'm getting older because when I get down to play trains with my son, <laughs> I grunt and, and I can hear my father's grunt from when I was a kid. <laughs> like, Dad, when did you get... Oh, right. That was me. That noise came out of me. Good times. Um, But okay, speaking of passions, you also... You're a wilderness outfitter. Yes, I am. Okay, so tell me about that, too. Okay. So I started a company called Avenim Adventures, and I want to say I started that back in maybe also 2011, or at least I incorporated it in 2011. Um, My father was a uh, Outward Bound instructor who then went on to uh, start his own wilderness outfitting uh, service um, doing wilderness trips with juvenile delinquents. Oh, cool. All right. Here in Colorado and also in Alaska. And so I grew up, uh, spending a lot of time in the wilderness. Um, my father, uh, really passed down a very, uh, valuable legacy to me, um, spending time in the wilderness, especially backpacking, really getting out in the backcountry and spending time there, uh, changing the rhythm of the, of the body to, um, uh, to that setting. And so I really wanted to do the same. Now, my interest was I want to get Jews out into the wilderness. Okay, think, wait a minute. Changing yeah. the rhythms of the body. Yeah. Expand upon that. What do you mean? Well, I think that it could be argued. Now, this is not empirical, empirically based or anything. This is just my experience. But mm-hmm. I think a, a lot of people, and especially those who have spent time in the backcountry, would, would say after about two nights – in the backcountry, your body changes. Hmm. Your concept of time changes. Uh, I stop looking at my watch. Hmm. I don't need to. I'm on a clock. I'm with the sun. I'm with the daylight. Right. Um, and with the slowing down, and it is a slowing down, but it's not, it's not only slowing down. It's a, it's a, it's a more gentle, now, I will not say that the wilderness is an inherently gentle place necessarily, but the time, the rhythm is a more gentle rhythm. Okay. I'm more gentle to what my body wants to do, and I'm I'm being gentle with what the world wants me to do, uh, the world around me, uh, whether that be the water, the plants, the sun, the the the, the temperature, um, and I become much more in tune to all those things, and that is a that's a rhythm changer. Okay. Yeah. Do, do you feel like that answers that? that no, question? that's fantastic, yeah. and it was very poetic too. I think. <laughs> So anyway, keep keep going. You want to get Jews out of the wilderness. Yeah, I wanted to get Jews out in the wilderness. Now, uh, um, this is kind of an unfair joke, but I'll use it anyway, which is that I think that after spending 40 years in the wilderness, uh, 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 quote, <laughs> Exodus, um, uh, we kind of felt like we'd, we'd rather just stay inside. I'm good now. <laughs> right? That's enough. <laughs> exactly. So That's a good um, joke. Thank you. Now, to be fair, there are a lot of uh, a lot of Jews uh, who uh, love spending time in the wilderness, and even there is uh, there are a lot of uh, references in in Jewish literature, especially in the Hasidic movement, about going out into the wilderness to talk to God. Hmm. At the same time, there has developed this uh, the cloistered. Um, um, I don't know how I want to say it, a restricted environment where, where we start to feel, um, uncomfortable going out of our comfort zone. And, and I would say that's not a uniquely Jewish thing at all. No. Uh, but Jews, uh, um, I think Jews are particularly prone to it, maybe because of societal expectations, you know, Jewish societal expectations, whatever the case may be, you don't often find, uh, um, Jews being all that excited to go spend uh, two, three days out in the wilderness in a tent. Uh, there's the animal factor, right. which let me just be very f- fair and clear. I have never but never in the backcountry in Colorado ever seen a bear. Other people have. Other people have run sure. across them. I have been doing this stuff. I'm 37 years old. I've been doing this stuff. My parents took me out when I was six months old. 
Uh, I've never seen a bear in Colorado in the backcountry. From a road, yes. In Alaska, yes, but not in Colorado. Okay. <laughs> Anyhow, so there is the animal factor. There are all these reasons why 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 Jews, uh, you know, come up with excuses not to go out. Everybody comes up with those excuses, but especially I wanted to get Jews out because there is an element of experiencing on a on a maybe more spiritual and religious level. Uh, we believe God created the universe. Mm-hmm. There is an element of experiencing God's creation that we don't get when we sit in our houses or when we're sitting in traffic or sitting in our office. Notice there's a lot of sitting. We're kind of sedentary folk. Or even, frankly, uh, while the study of Torah, I think, is very, very, very important, um, there's an element of experiencing the creation that is not experienced when you're sitting in the study hall studying Torah. And so I think that there is a richness of life and a richness of spiritual uh, growth that can be accomplished um, being in the wilderness. So that was what motivated me starting Avanim Adventures. I will say that there is an inherently therapeutic element of the wilderness as well, which I think a lot of people have experienced. Um, so I originally started the company um, with the, in having in mind that I would ha- uh, see, that I would take out fathers and sons. So Jewish fathers and sons on backcountry wilderness trips. I um, uh, partnered with a good friend of mine named Ellie Gans. Um, in the business, and he pointed out, Ari, that's like a niche of a niche of a niche. <laughs> you want to get Jews out who already don't want to go out. You want to get fathers and sons out into the back country. Okay, fine. So you, you may be narrow casting this a little thin, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. So, so I changed it, and I'm. I just want to get. Uh, um, the truth is, I just want to get people out into the wilderness who have not experienced it before. Jews, non-Jews. Anybody who wants to get out into the wilderness, who has not experienced it before, who can go out and wants to open themselves up to that experience, I want to do. Now, it's important to be clear, this is not a concierge service. Right. Um, I don't wash your dishes. Yeah. I don't sit up your tent. I don't light your fire. This isn't glamping. It, it is not glamping. Now, I think glamping is really cute and cool, but this is not glamping. <laughs> right. And, but it's, it's also not meant to be, you know, like a, a suffering experience. This is an experience where you get to go out and feel what it feels like to work for some of this stuff. When's the last time that you had to collect wood to cook your food? Hmm. Right? That's not an experience that a lot of people get to have. Well, not on the reg. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so, this is an experience, an opportunity for people to really find out what they are capable of, where their comfort levels are. I actually like the experience both in therapy and in the wilderness of getting people to that edge where they start feeling a little bit anxious, mm-hmm. right? Because then that's that space between stimulus and response. That's that opportunity to have people just take a step back and say, okay, look, it's raining. You're wet. You're cold. The tent isn't set up and you're hungry. Great. So you could panic and start, you know, maybe crying a little bit. 100% cool. Or we could just take a step back. Feel free to continue crying. Let's take a step back. What can we do here for you to take, uh, steps to, to change your, your, your reality, to change your, uh, yeah. um, what's going on for you? Um, and that's a, a very valuable experience. Yeah. Uh, 100%. And it, it's funny that it came back to the space between stimulus and response because yeah, when you're out in the wilderness, a lot of stimuli out there yeah. and a lot of different stimuli and a lot of unusual stimuli. And so it's like, wow, I don't know what my response is going to be. Right. And I, I think, again, this goes back to entrepreneurship too. A lot of people don't want to find out what they do in response to that stimulus. Right. Yes, right? absolutely. It's so be- true. Because <laughs> the leap is too much for them. Right. We can think about it, but we don't want to find out what, how, how, what it's actually going to be. And that is, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, scary. and, you know, everyone's got sort of a bridge too far. 
that that they're not willing to cross. You know, yeah. I don't want to find out what it's like to get bitten by a snake. Me um, either. So, um, like, you know, there's there that's a stimulus. That's one hundred percent a stimulus. I don't care what my response is. I have no interest in finding out what that is. Yeah. But I would say that the risk of finding out what your response is when put in a situation as I, I don't want to call it low stakes, but as as benign as camping, mm-hmm. right? As, as going out into the wilderness with a trusted guide, right? That seems totally reasonable to me. And that seems like an, a, an acceptable threshold. And I hope everyone takes you up on it. So, so, so do I. I just want to add just briefly, I, there's, I think, a really important point here, which is people, when people go out into the wilderness, and, and I have this experience too, we also find out, surprisingly, uh, what sort of emotional experience comes up when I don't have my phone? Oh yeah, <laughs> right. So, so that you know, some people might say, "Well, you know, that would be totally cool." But yeah, try going out into the wilderness. Find out, right? Um, as you you mentioned, this is you know a conversation with no phones. Uh, when the internet goes out at work, what happens? People talk to each other. People come out of right. their office. Exactly. <laughs> and they talk to each other. And what a wild experience that is, right? So you find out what kind of person you are when you don't always, you don't keep, you know, you don't get to keep checking Facebook and Instagram all the time. Or even if you're not doing that, checking your texts and emails for those of us who are older and are not, are not uh, doing Instagram. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. Um, you don't get to do that. And, and, and finding out what comes up, you know, it's like when, when kids leave the house and then, uh, you know, you and your partner have to figure out how to live together. Again, oh yeah, you're out in, exactly. Yeah. You're out in the wilderness. You don't have your phone distracting you. Wow, wow! Look at all these feelings and thoughts that are coming <laughs> up. This is kind of intense. Yeah. So that is another uh, very valuable element of um, of getting off the grid and going out into the woods. Wow, you told me something before we got on mic about why you chose that as the name. Yes. So uh, Avanim is a uh, is means rocks in Hebrew. Mm. It's also a mixture of two words, avot and banim. Av and avot is av is father, mm-hmm. and banim is children. Oh, okay. Um, so uh, in the initial uh, niche that I was aiming toward of yeah. fathers and sons, um, I had avot and banim, and when you put together avanim rocks, so avanim adventures. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, good. I I love it when people are very thoughtful in the way they put together their names. So, um, okay, I think that is a good place to wrap up. So, uh, Ari. Give us the plugs. This is the, the spot on the show where we do plugs. Okay. So anything you want to plug, whether it's your practice, whether it's integrated care, whether it's Avanim, okay. whatever it Can is. we do all three? Oh, yeah. All right. Plug as many things as you want, <laughs> and I will link to this on the companion blog piece on johnofalltrades.us. I, I think I'll start with a plug for my wife. My wife is amazing. She supports me in all my craziness, and she supported me in going out to be an entrepreneur. So that's plug number one. An important one. <laughs> yes. Plug number two. Uh, let's start with my private practice. It's AMH psychotherapy, and I see uh, I see a, a variety of people, specifically working with trauma. I really enjoy working with parents who are feeling uh, stress and struggle in making uh, good, mindful, intentional decisions about parenting. Uh, I've done that for uh, a long time, working with kids and parents, and so that's a, a big passion of mine, and I enjoy it. And finally, um, well, not finally, uh, Integrated Care Institute. Um, if you uh, are a medical provider and you're interested in this, check me out. Amazing. If you are a patient who really wants this service in your medical office, uh, mention it to your medical provider. It's Integrated Care Institute. And you can check it out by Googling Ari Hoffman. Okay. Um, and finally, Avanim Adventures. You're looking to do uh, wilderness trips, uh, therapeutic wilderness trips, regular ones. You want to bring a group out, give me a call and I would be happy to work something out with you. Fantastic. 
Well, big shout out to Avi Bulo as well for yes, hooking this absolutely. up. Absolutely. Um, this was fantastic. Ari, uh, you are a man of passion. You've got a lot going on. And uh, this was an enormously enjoyable chat. I wish you continued success. Thank you so much. And to you as well. And that wraps up episode 188 of the John of All Trades podcast. Big thanks to Ari Hoffman for coming on my show. Hell, it was his idea. He reached out to me. I love it when people pitch me ideas, so keep it up. Ari, you're doing great work, uh, and it was a pleasure getting to know you. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Our sponsor is 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. It's campaign season, so they are going great guns. I'm actually working with them on a couple of projects. If you need something, if you're trying to reach people, if you're having a hard time getting the message together, and you don't know what platforms to be on, 4 Degrees can get you dialed in and do it for a cost that you can afford that will move the needle for your business. So check them out on the web, number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. John of All Trades podcast is on social media. I plugged that in the intro, but here we go again. J-O-A-T pod across platforms. That is Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. Instagram is where you find all the adorable cat photos tagged under worst coworker ever. I work from home, so I've got two meowing jerk faces enhancing and or detracting from my productivity. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. New episodes drop on Wednesday. Monday, we do our first job series. Those are the official previews and teasers of each week's episode. Be sure to check those out. Give us a rating. Give us a review. And uh, take some time. Hit that subscribe button. We'll get brand new episodes right to you. I'm back here next week with a brand new show. And until I hear you again, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny. The John of All Trades podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak. speak.